Well, hello and welcome to episode 470 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I am Carlos and in this week's packed show, we've got some news on, well, it's emotional pet time again. The emotional pets are back on board. We've also got news on another Dreamliner that is facing the chop. Uh, in the military news this week, well, we haven't got any military news this week, but uh, don't panic because Armando uh, is going to be bringing us a very special uh, interview indeed in the military segment this week. And uh, also joining me across the village over here in Suffolk, where it is... Slightly mild outside this evening, wouldn't you say, Matt? Indeed. Speaking of emotional uh, support animals, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Matt Smith, who has joined me a few a few times this week in my uh, in my in my place of work for dinner. It's Indeed. Been quite nice. Quite nice having you around for yeah. dinner, man. Uh, what, 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 he's, what he's confusing you with is the person who's bringing his sandwich from the canteen oh, yes. before like, he sets yes. it. My invite is only so that he, he doesn't have to come and get his sandwich himself, I'm just saying. <laughs> Let, let's, let's, let's make this clear that when Matt walks to where my warehouse is, he mm. walks straight past a very nice cave. <laughs> it is a very nice cave, yes. yes. Sue does a sterling job. Yes, it's Neb, it's a shame you didn't come to come to Midwich in the end. <laughs> uh, yes, I, I could have popped in for a for a coffee and a Welcome. bar. Indeed, yeah. absolutely. Yes, joining us always as this as always this week, uh, he's back. He's uh, he's the the guy who really does put uh, the seat one A in BA. It's Neville Bounds. Yeah, there's no ranting this week because I've not been flying. So, ah, so that makes a change, doesn't it? I got it out of my system last week, though. My goodness me, that was a that was a tough one. Uh, just lots of driving this week, just burning lots of ad blue, going up and down the M40, M23, M25, the whole the whole lot. Um, but um, flying again on Tuesday to Stockholm for the week, so there'll be plenty of opportunity for ranting about BA's boarding policy. Ooh. Oh, goody. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> yeah. But you'll, uh, you'll, be, you'll be back flying again next week, though, Nev. So, so I've heard. Yes. Yes. Which... I am. Um, but unfortunately, I won't be on the show on Friday next week because I will be still in the air, I would imagine. So, um, But uh, nonetheless, I'm looking forward to um, actually about 21 degrees in Sweden, which would be quite nice next week. So, um, oh. And sunny, too. So that'll be good. Nice. Excellent. Look forward to a report on the flight, Nev, as always. Yes. And uh, joining us back again this week, our uh, associate producer uh, on the show is, of course, uh, Nick Codling. Hello, Nick. How are you this week? Hi, Carlos. I'm pretty good, thanks. And, uh, yeah, nice to be back on. I was uh, away last week. So, uh, yeah, good to be back with you guys and uh, looking forward to a good show. Brilliant. And Armando is not with us this week, but... We went through our list of extensive guests that we have for the show. And obviously, the guy who always seems to just kind of get to the top of the list every time <laughs> is, of course, Andy, our very own. It must, own it must be a very player. short list. A very short <laughs> list. A very low caliber as well. I wasn't quite sure where he was going <laughs> with that one, Andy. I've got to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Andy, how, how the devil are you? Uh, apart from being full of cold and sinusitis, I'm all right. I'm good, thank you. It's nice to be on again. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. How, how's uh, things with the uh, with the Airbus fleet then and you? Um, well, I haven't been flying for well over a week now because I'm all bunged up, but uh, I'm glad I missed Monday, which I'm sure we're probably going to talk about. 
Um, did, was there an event on? on the, did something happen on Monday by any chance? I don't know. I was lying on the couch watching Netflix. Oh, okay, when I fair found out. <laughs> but impeccable um, yeah, timing. Something, yeah, something did happen. <laughs> but no, thank you very much for having me on again. It's always a pleasure. I'd, I always like being the super sub. <laughs> oh, oh, it's good to have you on, Andy, as always. Uh, but uh, we have got a book quiz this week as well. So for those of you who want to win yourself a book, we have got a book up for grabs this week. Uh, which is pretty a pretty cool book, mm, actually. Indeed. Uh, now, wh uh, while we were talking about Armando, by the way, although he isn't here, he has very kindly sent us a little check-in video of what he's been up to this week. Hey, guys. Here we are. Uh, nice Friday afternoon. Uh, I'm in the Cub. Just going to take it up flying, just change the oil in it, uh, change it every 50 hours or so. Um, as you can imagine, this is going to be an apology video. I can't be on the show today. Uh, as usual, this Friday afternoon, I am going to be uh, flying... Uh, this is one of those weekends where I'm actually flying all the things. So taking this thing up, uh, taking the Hawker up for a trip, and then the Pilatus over to the Outer Banks of North Carolina uh, for a trip on early Saturday morning. Um, so a little bit of all over flying. Um, this week we don't have any military for you, but what we do have is a great interview with Nick from Timber Tiger Aircraft. Now I found these guys on social media. Uh, a lot of you that went up to Oshkosh probably saw this, uh, their beautiful replica of the uh, Ryan ST, uh, STA. Uh, they're calling it the STL. Uh, but these guys are producing three wonderful home-built kits that are just take you back to the vintage era, era of aviation. Um, as soon as I saw it, I immediately fell in love with it. And I actually thought to myself, maybe this is the, actually the kit that I'm going to build. Uh, so, either way, uh, we don't have military for you. Sorry, Jonathan Warner, but we do have this great interview with Nick. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. If nothing else, make sure you go check out their website, and right on their splash page, you're going to see just this amazing airplane, plus their Facebook page has some great pictures. Uh, so, everybody, take care. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next week. So if you are listening to that in the audio podcast, you absolutely need to take yourselves to our YouTube page and watch that because the video what Armando took there, I think he's brought, he's invested in some new, I think he's got one of those new three, is it a 360 GoPro? I think he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 360. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, and uh, honestly, the video is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> that honestly, that it, Armando literally does take the word "cool" and smacks us around the face with it. <laughs> he, he oozes cool. Yeah, oozes it. Although I'm and a I'm bit worried. S- I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a bit worried about his uh, a trucker's uh, suntan, though. That's the end. No, no, I like that. I'm going to yeah. start flying the Airbus like that. I'm going to open the window, <laughs> stick one arm out. <laughs> Bombing down the runway in Manchester, beautiful. Oh, I would love to see that. Never, you're not tempted to do that in the banana? Uh, I can do that. Um, <laughs> you get a bit of sort of buffering, actually. Um, you know, buffeting, I mean. Oh, uh, I see. Is, is that below enough. 150 miles an hour now? Uh, Kilometres per hour. <laughs> Or as, or as we say, 120 plus VAT. Lovely, yeah. good. I like that. And, and I suppose on the bike, Nick, I, it, you just, it's just all leathers and just like sort of <laughs> not an option, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure where your, uh, where your thought process is. Okay. Actually, Bill in the chat room said, where is Armando going to get the time to build a home build? <laughs> oh, he'll make time. There's no two ways about that. So, talking of chat room... Going to say a big hello to everyone who's joined us in the chat room this evening. I know some of you guys were in there really early today. Uh, going to say hello to Richard Adams. Good uh, evening, Mazus, our local listener, Mazus. Kareem's in there as well. Lee Davies is in there, but he's got a pint on the go. Uh, Hobby Time is also in the chat room. Uh, our very own Nick. Codling's in there. Good to see you in there, Nick. Uh, Captain Cruz, hello to you as well. We've got Andy Wilson. Don't know who that guy is. Um, yeah, Lee Davis is definitely uh, on the beer this evening. Good to see. Uh, John Jester, our, our resident uh, cargo pilot, is in the uh, chat room as well this evening. Uh, hello to Sturman. He's busy having a camping trip this weekend, so he's watching us uh, from the comfort of his uh, of his of his well his car this evening. Uh, there he is. He's watching from <laughs> from the dashboard there. Uh, who else we got in here? Richard Adams, main man Micah, Uncle Micah, good Ooh. to see you. As well. Uh, Masha, hello to you, Masha. Nice to see you. Aaron P, hello to you. Uh, our very own Jenny in Rome. She's also tuned in this evening. Coming good. to Duxford as well, yeah. by the way. He's yeah. coming to Duxford, mm. yeah. More info on Duxford later on the show, so make sure you watch that. Uh, Cat Ridiculous Wits is also in there. Good to see you in there as well. And don't forget, if you are listening to our voices on the audio podcast that you might be downloading via the various platforms, uh, don't forget, if you want to see just how stunning Nev is in his pressed uniform every week, don't forget <laughs> to tune in to YouTube and uh, f- find us on there. Or if you fancy seeing just what a absolute legend of an Airbus pilot uh, looks like you can come and join us and see what Andy looks like. Uh, everybody oh, is right. very welcome to set, like throw sharp objects at Carlos. By the way, if you feel feel obliged, that's fine. <laughs> Actually, Andy, I will say the the beard is coming on well. I think since uh, we last seen you. Oh no, that's been trimmed today. It was about two and a half inches long before this morning. Um, mm. I, looked, I looked a bit. I, I looked like I could have lived on the streets. So I thought I'd best get it tidied up. <laughs> It's difficult to know where your beard finished and the windshield of the mic started. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, we have got lots to get through, as we said, plus our book giveaway this week. Uh, But uh, it's time for some commercial news, if everyone's ready. Certainly are. Let's go. The captain has turned on the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts.
So, kicking off this week's first commercial news stories from the dailymail.co.uk. It's where we always get all our great aviation stories from. And uh, we're back on the subject of emotional support animals again. We haven't had a story like that for a while, have we, on the show? Uh, airlines are cracking down on unusual emotional support animals again, including peacocks, pigs, and has seen blind passengers with guide dogs as well being banned from boarding aircraft. Uh, new rules rolled out uh, back in January 21 uh, to crack down on unusual animals being passed off as trained service animals has faced a backlash. In 2018, the Department of Transportation received 116 complaints from people with disabilities regarding service animals. By 2022, the number had risen to 451 complaints. Recent years have seen passengers attempting to bring peacocks, pigs, miniature horses and even turkeys on their flights. The Department of Transportation's new rules to crack down on the use of unusual emotional support animals has made instead flying inaccessible to some blind passengers. The new rules uh, rolled out in January 2021 were designed to stem the rise of untrained pets being used as service or emotional support animals on flights by requiring passengers to complete forms about their pets training in advance. Recent years have seen passengers attempt to bring peacocks, pigs, miniature horses, as we said, and turkeys. However, blind passengers have claimed they are now encountering more pushback around taking their much-needed service animals aboard flights since the regulations came to force. Elizabeth Schoen, 21, who is blind, told the Washington Post that her guide dog Eva was barred from a flight to Boston last March. Schoen claims she attempted to submit the necessary form online four days before her jet blue flight but the portal rejected it advised by customer services to bring the paperwork to the airport instead which she did however the airline staffs told her that she had not submitted the form online and therefore her dog was turned away they said if you're or she said if you're denying my dog you're denying me she told the post Sharon missed her flight and spent around four hundred dollars to fly the next day with a different airline she said it's, it made me even more scared every time I go to the airport. It's like, are they going to stop me, she said. Even though I know I'm approved, I still feel pressure like I'm under the microscope. A spokesperson for JetBlue told the Post that roughly 80% of the applications are approved. Customers who do not submit in advance may not be able to travel. So shown is not alone. Department of Transportation data shows that the number of service animal-related complaints from people with disabilities have more than doubled since the regulations took effect. Back in 2018, the agency received 116 complaints, and as we said, by the uh, 2022, the number had more than doubled that. The issue of untrained animals on flights uh, is uh, being used to pass as emotional support pet, uh, pets came into prominence when a Brooklyn-based artist, Venko, tried to take her peacock on board a United Airlines flight at Newark Airport back in January 2018. The peacock, called Dexter, nice name for a peacock, was uh, not allowed on board the aircraft, and a spokesperson for the airline told the Daily Mail back at the time that the traveller had been repeatedly told in advance she would not be able to have the bird on the plane. Now, the story does go on, um, but... Um, you know, I, I personally, of all the flights I've ever been on, I've never seen, well, I've never even seen a dog, to be fair. I mean, Nev, I mean, you do the most flying out of, well, apart from Armando, obviously, but you do the most kind of commercial passenger flying. Um, how many times have you seen uh, an actual pet on board an aircraft? Uh, seen uh, a cat and a dog so far in 
40 oh. years of flying so that's not too much is it um but um as aaron p says in the chat room uh, the us has quite different rules regarding what you can bring on the aircraft with you it would seem um, yeah this this doesn't happen in europe it's not no, allowed no um but yeah i have actually had a in fact i was just thinking about that those were internal us flights i've just realized i took I saw american airlines flight and a united flight that i would i took so yeah they weren't uh, within europe so uh yeah um I, the trouble is whatever i say about this i'm going to offend somebody so I, I, i'll pass the baton on to somebody else how about that well look i think it's um a few spoiling it for the many as usual here and stringent rules being brought in for people who do need them such as guide dogs etc um, but come on, bringing a pig on board, really? I mean, I, have, you, have you got any pets, Andy? Um, I used to have a dog, and I'm about to get another one now, actually. Yeah, oh. so I'm, I'm a dog man, yeah. Mm. So you don't fancy taking your, uh, your dog when you get it on the flight deck with you, then? No, because it would just cause absolute chaos. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing you want is an animal jumping in your lap as you're trying to land. <laughs> well, I mean, absolutely, yeah. I, I mean... The, I don't know. It's it's sort of a difficult, you know. The the, the, the as you say, it's What's the minority it? spoiling it for the majority again, yeah. isn't it? And it's it's one of those sort of. Uh, what I am disappointed about, though, is and I do get that. Is I mean, like in terms of um, like support, I mean, the role of a guide dog is very very clear, um, and that's all very straightforward. And I'm not trying to say that your needs you know that you're obtaining you know for comfort or whatever i mean you know there are again there are scenarios for example um i mean i'm aware of a situation with uh, uh, a friend of mine who is autistic and there is a you know there's there's a dog that goes with him on a flight because it helps but you know so again in the in the role of emotional support so i i i acknowledge that there are genuine circumstances where an animal could uh, could be very beneficial to frankly everyone on the flight because if said you know let, okay so i'm using the autistic child as an example i appreciate that's not the best example but it's the first one that sort of like comes to mind if but you in, like in the case of a dogma mm. it's trainable a trainable yeah. animal yeah yeah i'm not sure how much used... emotional support can be offered by a peacock well uh, exactly you can't train <laughs> a peacock a pig a turkey yeah. you can't train any of them mm. to to be, be yeah. useful they're just they're animals at the end of the day they're animals mm. um and they don't belong on an aircraft <laughs> yeah apart from the hold no. <laughs> apart from in the hold right okay yeah. fair enough well, they yeah. carry, airliners carry yeah yeah carry animals all yeah. the time Indeed, and I think it's uh, yeah. It, as I say, I, I appreciate it's a, it's a tricky one to, to that we probably should probably walk away from before one of us <laughs> says something that gets us into a whole heap of trouble, as Nev, Nev said. But oh, uh, Nev. I, I can see that, you know there's a strong argument on on both uh, both sides of the, the, the fence. The, as it were. the good thing for the USA where this is an issue is there's no bodies of water between the east coast and the west coast that you can't drive, so the problem's fixed. <laughs> Well, quite. <laughs> oh, I don't know if I can... I, I have something different. I, ha I have emotional support pieces of aircraft. Right, OK. Yeah. Right, I mean... Do you take them with you on the aircraft? 
Yeah, quite possibly. That, yeah, that would, indeed. That would be slightly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to offer this as something that Never's just uh, thrown into the group here. I don't know what that. <laughs> I mean, that's that's one option, isn't it? Uh... <laughs> No, that would definitely get you an upgrade into, well... Well, I don't know, would it? You know, uh, for those of you listening to the audio version, I've just showed a picture of, essentially of a of a person in a... Well, I don't know, it's supposed to be a shark, it's an isn't it? Support you, shark. An emotional support shark. Yes, it's, uh, it was Ferg, Fergal Sharky. Actually. What was it? Right, very good. Okay, <laughs> ba-boom. I do like, like what uh, Mazus has said. I think we're all keen on emotional support wings. Yes, I'm a big fan of wings mm, on aircraft. Right. Uh, <laughs> chicken wings are my personal favourite. <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, ideally with oh. a spicy sauce of some description. Very nice. <sighs> anyway, moving on. Matt, <laughs> you have got the next story, and uh, yeah, a bit. Well, I don't know to think about this story. But... No, no, I, I, I indeed. Uh, so, uh, I'm not quite sure why I, why I've got this one, other than the fact it's a Ryanair story. Uh, so, Daily Record, which is a, a site. Uh, that you'll only ever find clip bait on, if I'm uh, brutally honest. Uh, dailyrecord.co.uk, it's uh, from Scotland, apparently. Uh, Ryanair passenger lassoed by seatbelt urges airlines to stop embarrassing plus-size flyers. A plus-size beautician was left embarrassed after being lassoed by her seatbelt on a Ryanair flight from Glasgow to Cork Island. Katie Higgins said that she had barely an inch of room in her belt, which was was cutting into her stomach. The 33-year-old was left extremely uncomfortable for the journey to visit family to, on the Emerald Isle on Friday the 11th of August. Uh, she said that uh, she would have asked for an extender belt but um, she, she would have asked for an extender belt uh, had it been any tighter, but feels that she shouldn't have to since she matches the profile of an average UK woman at dress size 16 and airlines should ensure seatbelts are big enough. Curvy Katie said that this isn't delusional and she knows uh, that... that uh, as a bigger woman uh, she was just stunned to find that her belt almost didn't fit and she'd recently lost two stone in weight as she as she said shorter belts are a safety issue that Ryanair and other airlines should be dealing with without the onus being on the passengers right I'm going to stop reading that story because it's making me angry I'm really sorry I'm not I'm going to refuse to read it any further uh, it's not embarrassing to ask for a seatbelt extension thingy I ask for it all the time Yes, I can get the normal seatbelt around me with no issue, but I take my comfort into consideration when I'm in there, and I've never had anything other than a lovely and warm reception on EasyJet and indeed on Ryanair when I've asked for one. There's been no tutting, no nothing of any of the sort. They just supplied me with the belt. I'm comfortable. I'm also safe and secure. This lady needs to grow up. Sorry. There's, um, there's a lane further down, though, that makes things even more confusing. I don't want to read it. Go on, Andy. Read it. Katie says that her confusion only heightened on her flight home when she was given a seatbelt that fitted fine, leading her to complain that flying with Ryanair, Ryanair is like potluck. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't... Okay. I don't, okay. I it's don't. a standard size seatbelt. They're all made the same size. Yeah, okay. Maybe she didn't eat much. Um, you know, perhaps she... Perhaps she'd had a very, very good poo or something before she got on the flight. I mean, I don't, I don't really understand what the re relevance of that is. I really oh, don't. Dear. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, we'll, I, we'll, 
We'll talk about that airline again. <laughs> oh, no, we'll set Nev off. Let's Go not off. do that. Uh, <laughs> right, anyway, moving on. Next story. Nev, you <laughs> have... Just, just before we move on. Oh. Um, <laughs> when I was flying to Barcelona last year, there was a, quite a large American gentleman uh, across the other aisle from me um, who just asked the crew, oh, have you got one of those fat belts, please? Oh, wow, and OK. The, hey, the at least he knows. Yeah. Uh, and everybody's going, yeah, here you go. Fully boots. Yeah. Obviously don't do that because that would be something different. But, no, 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 uh, yeah. indeed. <laughs> indeed. Uh, We're back to that airline again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, but I, the, the thing is, is as I say, uh, what I, you know, I mean, I, I am one of those people who has to ask for said, but I, you know, I'm... <laughs> I, it, I don't understand why you would... As I say, I can get it to, like the ordinary one to fit, and it is tight, and it is uncomfortable. And you think, why? If You, you know, because especially if you're going, like, sort of, you know, if it's a four- or five-hour flight, why would you put yourself... Why would you make yourself uncomfortable for that long period of time? Even if you're only wearing it... You know, I mean, I must admit, I tend to have it on, like, loose, even when, like, it does say you can take this, you know, take the seatbelt off. You know, oh, I, good! You listen to us. You listen well, to us. Well, I, I think I think I'd be in an awful lot of trouble. Well, we, if I we didn't, tried. Frankly. We tried to, Andy. Yeah. But as as we were saying the other week on the show, if you remember, guys, we we're talking about the quality. It is a, it is one of many Nev pet peeves. It has yes, <laughs> indeed. But uh, yeah, I, I don't understand. I don't understand what the, the you know is. I don't get the stigma. I just don't get it. I, why why would you um, put yourself through feeling uncomfortable? I mean, it's just I I, I don't. I'm going to suggest it was probably for getting clicks on Instagram. Oh, steady on there. Yeah. I'll tell you yeah, what, right. after, the amount, after, after the amount of food that we ate last week at Sturman's wedding, I felt uncomfortable. Yeah, you weren't flying on a Ryanair flight, though. No. You, but then you would have asked for the extender, wouldn't you? I would have done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just to make comfortable. Anyway, Nev. Anyway, Nev, you've got, uh, you've got the next story. And uh, obviously we've had our share of um, uh, issues this week in the UK. But... Um, Carry on. Have we? Yeah, no, not limited to the UK, because on uh, CNN.com it says the uh, Department of Transport issues largest ever fine to American Airlines for tarmac delays. And the company is facing the largest ever fine for keeping passengers waiting on board airplanes during hours-long delays. Uh, the DOT is levying the $4.1 million fine, the largest civil penalty that the department has ever assessed, it says in a statement, for lengthy tarmac delays of 43 flights that impacted more than 5,800 passengers. The flights occurred between 2018 and 2021. In the longest of the delays, passengers sat aboard a plane in Texas in uh, August 2020 for six hours and three minutes. Uh, the 105-passenger uh, flight had landed after being diverted from DFW Airport due to severe weather, severe weather uh, with the Department of Transport alleging that Americans lacked sufficient resources to appropriately handle several of these flights once they landed. Federal rules set the maximum time that passengers can be held without, without the opportunity to get off prior to takeoff or after landing at three hours for domestic flight, flights and four hours for international flights. Current rules also require airlines to provide passengers water and a snack. 
Uh, American told CNN the delays all resulted from exceptional weather events and represent a very small number of the 7.7 million flights during this time period. The company also said that it had invested in technology to better handle flights in severe weather and reduce the congestion at airports. These efforts are already providing significant benefits to our customers and team members and we continue to look for in innovative ways to further improve, the airline said. American would pay uh, $2.05 million of the fine to the government uh, and has been credited for paying the other half in passenger compensation. Makes my 20-minute um, delay whilst we're waiting for the stand guidance to be switched on to Heathrow pale into <laughs> insignificance a bit, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Goodness, there's some big numbers there. Uh, but, of course, when weather's happening and there's, you know, delays on stand and all the rest of it, then, there's, you know, you can't just magic space out of thin air, can you? And they, Six and hours is still phenomenal, though, to mm, sit and wait. It is, isn't that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. Like, in again, Europe and America have very different regulations surrounding this. We'll board an aircraft if we've got, say, for departure, if we've got a delay up to three hours, a slot delay, then we'll, we'll board. If not, we'll wait, because hopefully, with, as we all know with the slot, we get them on and tell them we're ready. We might be able to get out a bit sooner. But I've never seen a delay of six hours on no. arrival. I mean, it must have been chaos on that aircraft. Yeah, and uh, I think the the problem is is that I suppose on an outbound flight, you uh, you know the crew make the decision. Well, if everybody's on the aircraft and they're ready to go, that as you say, there's a chance that the slot can be brought forward and, and they're off they go. But when you're arriving, um, let alone if they're uh, they're connecting flights or the crew's going to go onto another flight or, or whatever it is, um, yeah, it's pretty awful isn't it but yeah six hours i think is a uh, appears to be an all-time record i've never heard anything like uh, that sort of time before unless you're yeah. flying on um what's the airline that has the residence is it cat is it qatar yes that'd be all right oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah the one that yeah the, yeah if unless you're in that you know in your own suite on board an aircraft with double bed lounge and all the rest of it i think the six hour delay you'd probably I think I'd rather go around the hall for six hours than sit on the ground for six hours. Mm. Yeah. Mm. You mm, get yes. less grief from the passengers if you did that, just going round and round in the air, because they know, oh, well, okay, we'll get on the ground eventually. But if you just sat there and you can see where you're going to get off. Mm. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a uh, conversation with the chief pilot, though, Andy, if you had taken six hours of holding? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I think it would be. It would be a oh, chat yes. without tea or biscuits or a job, probably. No, <laughs> indeed. Indeed. It's definitely it on bingo fuel, I think, um, Andy. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. Bingo fuel. I've not heard that one before. That's a new one on me. <laughs> explain, Andy, quickly for Matt. Explain. Bingo fuel? Well, no, I, I've, got, I've got it. I think I know what it means. It's a bit like yes. lottery fuel, I think, is that sort of thing, isn't it? Pick a number and hope for the best. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> is that is fumes. that about right? Fumes. Yeah, fumes. indeed. Proper so, fumes. Andy, you've obviously... Uh, I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on your story next, because... For me, I'm just worried that, that um, our air traffic control system here in the UK has gone back to Windows 98. But anyway, Karen. Well, yes. Well, this one's from the, uh, theguardian.com. 
And its airlines call for compensation reform after staggering air chaos revelation. Was it a revelation? <sighs> uh, airlines have urged reform of compensation rules after the staggering revelation that a single wrongly input flight plan to UK air traffic control disrupted hundreds of thousands of passengers' flights. Nats, which controls UK airspace, said an unusual piece of data had caused the unprecedented system failure on Monday, which led to more than 1,600 flights being axed and many more delayed. Would-be holidaymakers and returning travellers were counting the cost on Wednesday, with many missing trips or yet to fly home and having to arrange accommodation. EasyJet started additional repatriation flights from Spain and Portugal as stranded passengers reported having to sleep on floors amid criticisms of airlines for failing to look after customers. The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak reiterated calls on airlines to honour their obligations while Labour said the government should give the regulator more powers to protect passengers. Sunak said it is important that airlines honour their obligations to passengers with regards to accommodation and flights to bring them back home. Airlines are not expected to pay additional delay compensation to passengers for the current meltdown as the circumstances are deemed outside their control. Well, too right, they are. But industry body IATA estimated airlines could lose £100 million in revenue and in the costs of alternative travel as well as accommodation and food that passengers can reclaim and urged the CAA to review the system to make NATS contribute. Willie Walsh, the Director General of IATA, said it's very unfair because the air traffic control system, which was the heart of this failure, doesn't pay a single penny. The row escalated as Nat's chief executive revealed that one single piece of data received had sparked the system failure when it didn't recognise a message. Uh, Martin Rolfe said that Nat's automatic flight planning had been designed to stop for safety reasons to ensure that no incorrect information could impact the rest of the air traffic system. He ruled out a cyber attack and declined to comment or confirm, um, sorry, declined to confirm or deny claims that uh, wrongly submitted information came from a French airline. Walsh said it was staggering uh, an explanation. He told the BBC, if that's true, it demonstrates a considerable weakness. He said that the UK should look at the way passengers' compensation is dealt with to ensure that people who are responsible for the delays and cancellations ultimately bear the costs. However, Labour shadow transport secretary uh, said airlines had long played fast and loose and ministers should stop dragging their feet and give regulators the power they need to stand up for passengers. Now I've got, oh, I've got I've, lots, I've got lots I, of thoughts on this, but I'll let you go first. Okay, I've got no, I've got some questions, if I may. So I'll be brutally honest with you. Although I was aware of what was going on, I know there was messages going backwards and forwards. I, d I have to say, I don't really understand essentially what's happened here. So uh, I, I get that UK air traffic or UK airspace, I should say, was essentially shut down for now how long was it shut down well, for because they were quite the, quick in fixing it from what i understand the airspace never closed right, right okay what happened was this flight plan came in mm -hmm. that completely flummoxed the system mm -hmm. and the system's designed when that happens just go don't know you we're not putting this through stop so it puts a stop on everything so all, all the flight plans come at this system and that's how they're allocated slots if required um any airspace regulations that it's going to fly through and it can work the whole thing out from start to finish. When this came in, it just went, nope, hang on, no more data here, there's a problem. Every other flight that was in the system got a 10-hour delay just stuck straight on it. Right, okay. And that's where the problem started because then, because it's floor restrictions then, they reduced the floor rate down to 40 aircraft an hour in UK airspace. 
Gosh, that is low. Which, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a lot. That, and that, and that yeah. includes everything. Overflights, arrivals, departures, the lot. Gosh. And, of course, that immediately caused a huge backlog. Uh, the airline I worked for, they had aircraft down route who were getting, like I say, slots of 10, 12 hours, which immediately puts you out of... Um, yeah. out of hours and all that sort of stuff. So that's where the delay came. But the big problem here is we've got a system that can fall over very easily and, in my opinion, is very, has very little protection. Right. All the apps out there, you can, there's, there's apps you can buy on the app stores that will show you every flight plan, all its delays that are planned in there. It can take and it can interrogate the system and pull all that information out for free and with no problem. Okay. And I think that's that's a big flaw in it. They're saying it's not a cyber attack. All right, it might not be this time, but what about next time? Mm, indeed. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that that's a that's a fair sort of point uh, uh, in in terms of that. And it, but in in terms of actually what happened here. Um, so do we? Do, does anybody know what how long it was? Because is the, is there was the issue essentially they weren't able to undo once they'd sort of solved the issue? Were they then not able to? sort of reopen everything up and, and like, like essentially well, the, reschedule? Is it just because it's such a mammoth, now manual task and that was part of the problem of getting in, everything sorted? So initially when they realised what the fault was, they started to input the flight plans manually. Right. And then once they fixed it, it was just a huge backlog. Yeah. People don't realise how many flights take yeah. off and depart like every... 10 minutes mm. in this country it's a huge well, amount I think, what, what was it is it um somebody remind me nev you might remember this at, at heathrow it's is it 90 seconds or something that there's something either landing or taking off at heathrow throughout uh, uh, well uh, in in the peak time yeah mm. but the other thing i would say about this is mm. Um, the media reporting was yeah. absolute rubbish. Well, and that's why and I'm asking these questions. Certain though. travel advisors who should know better mm. were talking out of their bottoms for the most part, I have Indeed. to say. However, our good chum Michelle Robson at Turning Left for Less came up with some very sensible stuff and mm. was asked for a couple of interviews uh, because she's worked at ATC for 23 years before she started doing what she was doing. Oh, wow. Um, I'm just going to read you a quick... Please, uh, yeah excerpt um, she says this morning the flight planning system failed for the UK which affected both ATC centers in Scotland and Swanwick and the airports the center controls aircraft once they have taken off when they are inbound to the UK uh, before they are handed over to the airport and also flights which are over flying the UK as Andy just said uh, controllers need basic information on each flight to populate their display such as the flight number aircraft type destination and route when the system initially failed it was not an issue as it can store four hours worth of data so everything continued as normal. When it became clear that they could not fix the issue within four hours, they decided to go manual. And this means that all flight plans have to be entered manually, which is very time-consuming. Therefore, they will not be able to handle anywhere near the usual number of aircraft. Uh, it seems that they put a zero rate on which stops aircraft departing for the UK and from the UK that aren't already airborne. And she was actually at Jersey, uh, and they were told that they had an indefinite delay which turned out to be about four hours in, in the end but once they had transferred into manual operations they will usually try to increase the number of aircraft which are allowed to take off to a level where they can comfortably work but it's still very limited mm. uh, around 
3.30pm uh, the systems came back on but by this time most airlines were having to cancel multiple flights. Uh, the, effects, the flights affected were, were mainly domestic and short haul and airlines will now try to recover as much of the ongoing schedule as they can. And of course we do know that there was you know, uh, ongoing problems for, uh, for days afterwards. Mm. But uh, no, a good, good job there Michelle. Thank you very much indeed for actually uh, taking a sensible pill and mm. um, you know, telling, us about, telling the media about your experience. Yeah because uh, you used to do the job but some of the other travel correspondents honestly it was pathetic mm. awful. and even though the system was fixed the reason for all the cancellations was the airlines have to then get to start thinking about tomorrow yes and making sure they've got the aircraft that they can have oh, of in course, the yeah. right place mm. so all the aircraft that they had back in the uk and they realized well we're not going to be able to operate the evening flights and back within the hours for the of crew etc yeah so let's just can the entire program and keep the, the aircraft that are down route, down route for the night, get them back first thing. And yeah. the aircraft that we've got, we can use them for first wave. And then anything else we've got left over, we can do extra flights to bring the people back who couldn't right. get back today. Okay. So Because it, it looks like total chaos when people go, they just cancelled every flight. So yeah. you've got to look at the entire operation, not just, unfortunately, your flight. Indeed. And I, I suppose with, with that in mind, of course, essentially, as you say, that the big problem here is that, all the schedules are so tight, essentially, that uh, uh, one... Well, I mean, let's take Ryanair as an example. You know, you've got one misplaced, um, you know, 737. And as you say, essentially, that has a knock-on effect, uh, effect on potentially two or three other flights because that plane isn't where it's supposed to be at the allotted time, as you say. So it's almost like, OK, let's write off today as a terrible experience and then sort of start again tomorrow, if you see what I mean, because at least yeah. you, you stand a good chance of things being in a slightly better place. Then you've only got a handful and, of aircraft that were in the air at the time and, and all that. And you've got to maximise the hours you can use the aircraft for tomorrow as well. Yeah. So I was flying a, an aircraft the other day. I did Antalya and back. And then it went straight back out to do an overnight Dalaman and back. Mm. It actually flew 20 hours out of 24 in a day. That's, That's brilliantly a efficient use yeah. of an aircraft. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. I'll, I'll just I'll just end by saying how annoyed I was at the the uh, as never sound some of the coverage on TV. Yeah. One of the things that really grinds my gears, I like to say. Oh dear! Thank you, family was, guy. Yes. Was the yeah I know was the um the, the people who are on holiday. And I know it's affected their their yeah. travel either return plans or their going out plans. You know, people who are delayed coming back to the UK from their holiday. And people were moaning, saying, oh, the airlines are rubbish, mm. blah, 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 and having a go at the ground stuff. But do you know one thing that just goes around in my head every time I see these things? We all have insurance. Most, mm. most people, sensible people, take out either annual or single trip cover insurance. To would, to forgive, cover these again, forgive my naivety on, on this one, but would an incident like this have been covered under most people's travel insurance? Most people do. Yes. They have a, they yeah, have a okay. thing for so many hours of right. delay or, okay. or if it okay. affects it, and you, you, you get covered. That's why we all Indeed. have a travel yeah. insurance. And, but, and one last point from me, sorry. Everybody complaining about there's no airline staff here, you know, there's nobody around. Mm. If you want to have staff at every single airport, loads of them there ready for when this stuff happens, you cannot expect to pay £60 for a return ticket no, on an aeroplane. No, exactly. 
Very good point. Hell yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Very true. Indeed. And this this is really why I had all these questions. I, I'm sorry to sort of like, mani- you know, sort of uh, monopolise it a bit. But Nev, as you, as you were saying, the thing is, is I don't, I'm the first to admit, even after doing this for what, eight years now, I still don't really know a great deal about aviation. And like, so when something like this happens, and you say, and you're stuck listening to, uh, you know, the awful reporting, I, I, mainstream media as well, you know, and, and like so disappointed with the coverage that the BBC and ITV, as an example, uh, were doing. And don't get me started on what Sky was saying, especially with one of the people that they were using as a uh, uh, a correspondent. Um, it was just utterly awful, and that's the problem. It's just like. I, I, you know, I was aware that there was something going on in, you know, with with ATC, but I genuinely had no clue as to what was actually because there was just so much like headline grabbing, sensational rubbish out there oh, that it was very difficult yeah. to pick out the bits that that somebody who's actually genuinely interested in what was really happening, never mind that, you know, I don't, sorry, this sounds terrible, don't really care about those who are stuck in various airports and all that kind of thing. The, the nerd in me is actually wanting to know what was going on, you know, why was this problem having, you know, whether it's my IT background or whatever, it's just like, yeah, all right, this awful thing's happened, but everybody's alive, so that's a, that's a huge plus there aren't you know there aren't planes falling out of the sky because of this or, or anything like that it's just so the nerd in me is like what was actually happening what what was the problem i think we should uh, ask richard westcott if he'd like to rejoin the bbc oh, as their I'd travel love that. Don't you? yeah 100% <laughs> at the end of the day they just needed to do their windows update right i think travel correspondence a job for me when i retire oh can oh. you imagine oh, oh. <laughs> oh, at least I'd tell it how it is. Oh, yeah, I think that might be part. Uh, that might be the area of concern. That's I'd pay money for that tweet. <laughs> okay. Absolutely, <laughs> lovely. Anyway, yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, Shall we move on, on before we get sued? Yeah. <laughs> so from Aerotime Aero, uh, this next story, and uh, well, another Boeing seven eight seven Dreamliner is going to be dismantled. Uh, the third 787 to be dismantled following substantial damage at Bogata. Uh, the engineers and mechanics um, just started dismantling a LATAM Airlines uh, 787-8, becoming the third ever commercially active aircraft of the type to be scrapped. Good news for me and my wall. I have a space oh, over there. No, here we go. Uh, LATAM Airlines, the wide-body jet, registered Charlie Charlie Bravo Bravo Foxtrot, belonging to the carrier's Chilean subsidiary. Uh, pictures that were shown on uh, social media. This is from the, an accident that happened a, uh, a while back. Showed the aircraft uh, without its tail and wings, as well as multiple workers and equipment near the 787. The decision to dismantle the nine, just, just over nine-year-old aircraft this was, uh, followed the incident which happened early in May 2023 this year when it was involved in an incident at Bogota El Dorado Luis Carlos Galán Salamento International Airport in Colombia. The aircraft was being repositioned by a tug when a tow bar snapped, resulting in the tug becoming stuck underneath the fuselage of the aircraft. 
post-incident uh, video shows substantial damage to the bottom of the fuselage, including deep cuts in some of the 787's composite fuselage. According to chaviation.com, the database, uh, Charlie, Charbo, uh, Charlie Bravo Bravo Foxtrot had a total number of 10,300 flight hours on the clock and 1,575 flight cycles. Uh, operating an average stage length of around 6 hours and 32 minutes of its flights. Previously, two former Norwegian Boeing 787s were scrapped at Glasgow Presswick Airport in Scotland back in February this year. Uh, the pair uh, registered Vi uh, Victor Papa Charlie Victor Lima and Victor Papa Charlie Victor Mike had been stored at PIK since May and September 2019 respectively. While neither was involved in an incident, these aircraft presumably no longer uh, wanted by an operator and they weren't obviously purchased and the second-hand market uh, was obviously not you know, their place to go. So that after four years in storage, those two aircraft were dismantled. The two Boeing 787s were delivered back to Norway or delivered to Norwegian back in 2013. However, Boeing also dismantled one 787 testbed, namely a 787-8 with manufacturer serial number 40694 back in 2018. Now, Matt's got the video on the screen for those of you watching on YouTube where the uh, aircraft is being uh, pulled along by a ground tug. Oh, and ooh. he takes takes a sharp turn and whoa. Yes. Yes. Didn't end too nicely. I mean, the pictures that uh, that I think Matt you had the pictures didn't you on the screen mm. earlier. The pictures of the aircraft, I mean the damage was was quite extensive underneath the aircraft, but I'm surprised it wasn't repaired. Um, yeah, I suppose they have to look jet, at the cost. Oh, here I knew you'd have something to say, Andy. Plastic Boeing thing. <laughs> uh, 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 what about the E three fifty? Yeah, that's a beautiful Airbus product. I wonder. I tell you what, it would be interesting, wouldn't it, it, it to know the challenges that these new composite aircraft present uh, when there is damage like this, and to ensure yeah, the integrity. I don't think you can. You can't rivet on a patch like you can an aluminium frame. No, or a bit, bit of oh, yeah, that, off you go. That's quite a bit of damage to that, isn't it? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, once that's been compromised, it, it does make it very, very difficult to repair because of the way in which the composite um, cloth is actually laid up when it's, when it's actually originally moulded. Um, so it will be done in such a way where the, the, uh, the different layers of the cloth will be laid over each other um, in different orientations in order to make sure that Get the strength Everything's really there, nice and strong. Yeah. Um, and obviously, if you punch a hole through it, you can't then kind of recreate that because your your strength comes from um, the, the the structure as a whole, if you like, rather than with metal. You can kind of just chop out a bit, put mm. another bit in, rivet it back together, and and you've got something that still is structurally the same, and that just doesn't work with composite. So. It does make me wonder whether or not this is going to be a bit of a problem moving forward with um, with these types of jets, where they they could become a bit of a bit of a risk to own almost for for some operators. Mm. I would I would love to know where that cut off point is with aircraft. You know, when you get an airliner like this seven eight seven, when you have damage, where that where they say no, that's it. This is beyond economic repair. Mm. 
Aaron P is uh, saying that the cost of repair versus selling off the good parts. I mean, they get good money for the engines and stuff, don't they? So it's mm-hmm. uh, you know not a yeah. Uh, Mazus is suggesting it'll buff out. By the way, <laughs> yeah, Mazus. The, en- the engines are at least by yeah, different I was just companies about to that. as, as yeah, well. They're, they're not actually owned by the airline. It's the subject of a separate uh, contract. Of course, it is. anyway. Yeah. Now, Matt, you've got the next story. I saw this. This popped up on the news feed um, early this week, and I have to say, I saw the video first. That was someone who posted on Twitter. Right. But uh, this was. Uh, this just proves a massive point to me. And me and you were talking about this earlier on in the week, Matt, mm. when you stopped we for dinner, about wearing seatbelts. Yeah, indeed, indeed. It's uh, CBS, cbsnews.com is the source on this one. And the headline is 11 hospitalised after Delta flight hits severe turbulence en route to Atlanta. A Delta flight hits severe turbulence as it was approaching Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport on Tuesday, sending 11 people to the hospital after landing. The Airbus A350, which took off from Milan in Italy, landed safely shortly before 7pm after hitting turbulence around 40 miles northeast of the airport, the Federal Aviation uh, Administration has said. The plane was carrying 151 passengers and 14 crew members, according to the airline. Both customers and crew members of Delta Flight 175 were among those who were injured. Uh, It's not immediately clear how many of each were hurt or how severe any of their injuries were. It was the latest in a series of incidences this year in which people have been hurt when their flights hit severe turbulence um yeah it's uh now uh, so moving on really sort of yes airline flights are getting bumpier and a suggestion possibly as to um how come essentially uh, this clear air turbulence as it's called is caused by patches of air swirling chaotically within the world's jet streams uh, strong air currents that circle the globe from west to east and that we see on weather maps as wide wavy lines that bend around low and high pressure centers uh, um, airlines like to fly within these bands of fast moving air to boost speeds and reduce travel times if the bands are near enough Enough to the flight's desired direction. The swells invisible to the eye batter a wing, a plane wing, uh, and then the battering is strong enough uh, as it jerks the plane up or down. The uh, passengers, uh, passengers freeze and flight attendants stumble. Over the past four decades, clear air turbulence, turbulence has increased by up to 55% in various regions around the world. Models predict another 100 to 200% increase over the next 30 to 60 years. Each time the thumping arrives it strikes no warning um, pilots can spot turbulence ahead of them relatively easier easily when uh, it's inside a storm or among clouds onboard radar can track the movements of raindrops in the distance to reveal the turbulent motion of air pilots can then forewarn passengers and crew encouraging them to take their seat and buckle up before a jolt hits turbulence in clear air however is invisible to radar pilots typically don't know it's there until it hits the plane. Uh, cloudy turbulence is created by a heating effect induced by the sun. When dawn breaks, the sun starts warming the ground, which in turn heats the air near the surface. The warmer the air is, the uh, the warmer air is less dense than 
the cold. This, I'm so sorry. This is really, uh, Andy. I'm going to refer to you because this article has been What's so badly, yeah. so badly written. It's almost difficult to read. Well, so, so well, just explain do... to me what what uh, what this sort of clear air, air this clear air clear air turbulence. Is. Yeah, cat. Let's just call it cat. That's okay. easier. Fair enough. I like a cat. Yes. So, clear air turbulence cat occurs normally when there's a rapid change in wind speed direction. Um, it's talking about jet streams there. Normally, as you enter or cross a jet stream, depending on which side you're on of it mm -hmm. and which way it's twirling and which hemisphere you're in, that all makes a difference. Um, the air, it, it's much like watching a river enter the sea. Right. Um, the, riv the river's fast moving, the sea's slow moving. Yep. You see the waves caused, yeah? Yep. And that's the, that's the same effect in the sky. And if you watch a boat ride over that, the boat will bounce all over yeah, the place, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's not unsafe. Um, a lot of turbulence over Europe at the moment has been due to uh, air change in direction. And the slower the air is, the more turbulent it generally is as well. Uh, with fast-moving air, it's normally pretty um, laminar at high altitude, so it's pretty smooth to fly through. In this particular case, though, you'll know it's 40 miles um, after takeoff from uh, Milan. And Milan's surrounded by the Alps. And you quite often get mountain waves as well. Mm. So that's another form of air. Imagine uh, the air's flown along quite happily and nicely. It finds a hill. It doesn't run into it. It goes up and over it. And it creates a wave effect, which then dips and waves and dips and waves. And you get what's called a mountain wave. So as you go through that air, it can cause quite a bit of turbulence of lifting and pushing the aircraft up and down. So that's probably what caused this, because it can cause quite rapid uh, changes in altitude pretty fast. But at the end of the day, clear air turbulence hasn't caused a major accident in many years. The biggest one I can think of is uh, the BOAC 707 that hit a mountain wave around Mount Fuji, climbing out of um, Tokyo which caused the whole aircraft to break up, but that was due to the handling of it as well. It, it It's not the end of the world, but like you said before, and Carlos was saying, just keep your seatbelts fastened. Mm. The cabin crew, obviously, is a bit more difficult for them, and you really can't see clear air turbulence coming because on the weather radar, where you've got... That only returns moisture returns, really, and shows you where there's real heavy moisture and in clouds, and that's where you're going to get turbulence. But clear air turbulence, we get reports from aircraft ahead, um, saying you know we're experiencing it. What's it like? Thousand above, thousand below, and stuff like that. And everybody talks to each other, and the forecasts are pretty darn accurate these days as well. Mm. We get charts that show you where all the predicted areas are. Sometimes, don't you fly through those areas smooth as silk. Other times you're flying through areas where there's nothing forecast, and next thing you know, all hell breaks loose for a few minutes. Mm. But it's not the end of the world, and. It feels like the aircraft's moving a lot, but when we sit and look at the flight instruments, nothing's really happening. Speed's going up and down a little bit. Nose may change its attitude by a degree, degree and a half. Altitude might go up 10, 20 feet down a bit. But it's nothing, really, at the end of the day. And the larger the aircraft and the heavier it is, the better it rides it as well. I've been in some very... I've been in some empty A319s positioning them around, hitting turbulence. It's like a crisp packet in the wind. Uh, you get flapped here, there, and everywhere, but it's just due to the weight. Hmm. Indeed. I, I mean, turbulence is something that I, I'm not. 
Did uh, that I'm, make sense, though, Matt? Yeah, did no, it, it did sense? very much so. Far better than what I was struggling to read, to be honest with you. So I appreciate that. It, it, uh, the, that's a that's a good analogy, actually. The sea, the ri- river running into the sea. I mean, I've I've done my fair share of broads cruiser holidays near the uh, yeah. near, near the the mouth of uh, like in Yarmouth. There, basically, where where the, it does join, and the current, if you like where you go from one to the other is quite intense and that's quite a good sort of way of so that that explains it's, it's that. exactly the same you just can't mm. see it yeah indeed in, indeed so it's uh, yeah well there you go the advice the advice on that one is always make sure you've got your seatbelt worn, worn loosely always, and if, if like me you're a large yep. you're a larger gentleman treat yourself to an extender anyway so <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a big table, isn't it? That's Alan Partridge. Yeah, quite, indeed. Nev, indeed. I, I'm guessing you always uh, keep yourself strapped in. Yeah, always. I mean, I remember get, um, I was flying from Copenhagen to Norrköping in Sweden uh, on SAS uh, commuter Fokker 50 aircraft, so that doesn't fly very high, probably at flight level mm. 200, I suppose, something like that, 20,000 feet. Um, and it's only a 45-minute flight, but they could not find a flight level that was smooth at all on this occasion. And the captain comes over the PA and says, we're just going to have to go with what we've got, I'm afraid. We've right. tried everything to try and make yeah. it smooth. It does happen. Uh, yeah. I've been in descent coming into Luton. It was overhead Silverstone, actually, because I was looking at Silverstone at the time. Hit a massive patch of turbulence. The aircraft just wouldn't go down. I was... I'd asked for clearance to descend out of it, and I couldn't get the damn thing to go down. It was just wallowing in this in this layer. <laughs> I had to get the speed brake out and disconnect the autopilot and actually push it down myself to get it to go down and get out of it. Indeed. Indeed. Blimey. Well, thank you. Right. Really appreciate the explanation there. Now, we are rapidly running out of time, unfortunately. Andy, so uh, we're yeah, going to move on to story. our last story, if that's okay, Nev. Yeah, well, it'll have to be. I was looking forward to the... Uh... <laughs> A food story, but we'll... Uh, we'll, we'll save it on. for next week, I promise. Yes. We'll, we'll save it for next week, because this one, I think we do need to cover. <laughs> yeah, okay, doc. So this one's from themirror.co.uk, and this is uh, Collapsed Monarch Airlines Slams Brakes on Relaunch as it runs out of funding. What? Monarch <laughs> Airlines once carried as many as 6.3 million passengers to 40 destinations every year, including flights from Gatwick, Manchester and Birmingham airports. But the firm collapsed in October 2017, bringing a curtain down on one of the country's oldest airlines, which launched in 1967. Earlier this month, a new website appeared for Monarch, along with a social media page declaring its return. Today, well, yesterday, uh, the company announced that the process would either be stopped completely or slowed down significantly. It is with immense regret that we announced today that we have been forced to put the bricks and our process to relaunch Monica's statement on its website reads. This is not a decision that we have taken lightly. However, since taking over the business two weeks ago, we have drawn close to exhausted the startup funding provided to us far more rapidly than we anticipated. We've been seeking alternative routes such as partial divestment of share capital and will continue to do so. However, at the current stage, there is no practical option to move forward in the immediate future. The airline's existence came to an end back in 2017 quite dramatically with more than 110,000 passengers stranded abroad. What followed was the biggest peacetime repatriation programme at the time, costing £60 million, although this was overtaken in terms of scale by the Thomas Cook collapse in 2019. Six years on, the airline looks to be working on plans to relaunch flights and holiday packages from the UK. Uh, A new social media account for the airline tweeted earlier this month, we're working hard to build a brand new monarch just for you. 
Another tweet said, uh, Monarch Airlines and uh, Limited and Monarch Holidays Limited were yesterday passed into new ownership following the eggs of the company's founder and previous majority shareholder. More information will be forthcoming. Um, yeah. Well, so now, I have questions. So, yes. bear, bearing in mind the airline collapsed uh, back uh, in 2017, quite dramatically, so it, as it's, it's not a relaunch. It's so a it's new not, airline. Well, as, this is this is the thing. It's just like so. Did essentially somebody held on to the brand? Then is that is that what I'm I'm missing here? Yeah, I think the name and the brand have been sold off by the um, administrators, and somebody bought it, and now they've right. just decided to use it. There was a couple of companies set up a few weeks back with these names. Um, there's quite a bit of damning stuff out there about the people who've set it up. Obviously, not going to name them because it's no. uh, we don't know any of it. Please, please don't. True yeah. or anything. <laughs> um, but when I saw this a few uh, earlier this week, I thought, well, that's that's never going to work. You can't relaunch an airline that's had all of its roots and everything taken away from it. It's got no slots anywhere. I don't know where it would buy slots to fly. True. Getting hold of Airbus aircraft at the minute is an absolute nightmare. There just aren't any. Um, yeah, it just, I think it was a bit of a pipe dream, potentially mm. of some Walter Mitty types, but I don't know. I, th I, th I think also a lot of us do have that, um, you know, that a lot of us, even, even myself, you know, you think of Monarch quite fondly of like, you know, because it was an iconic airline, there's no two ways about it, um, and and maybe that's what they were sort of riding on the, you know, that's maybe that's why you're sort of investing essentially in re re, you know, buying the brand and and putting it back out there is because you're hoping to capitalise on the fact that it's an airline that a lot of people remember and a lot of people had good experiences with in the past. Well, it's like, I think Mike has said it as well, Pan Am, that keeps reappearing all over the place. At one point, it was a train service in the States. Yeah. Uh, people just buying the name, selling it on, moving it around. But Monarch, Monarch's gone. People just need to let it rest. Yeah. yeah it's like, I'm, why, why not restart Dan Air? Get, bring Dan Air back. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah, the, yeah well, bring the BIC 111s back. Yes. It, that's yeah. it. it it's, just, it's just a new airline using an old name mm. that hasn't worked out. It's just like this global airline or whatever they could have bought those A380s. I had, I, I will, if if that ever flies, and does at least one profitable flight, I will eat a hat. Oh, excellent! <laughs> uh, one made of cake. Just, just time stamping that. Now, yeah, yeah, so please, yeah. please, please do that. Nick, it will Nick please make a note of that, will you? <laughs> <laughs> Episode four seventy. Indeed, indeed. Right. Uh, so, uh, UK Airfield. Sorry, very quickly. Richard is saying, are Monarch Engineering still about? They were one no. of the leftover parts of Monarch Airlines after the collapse in twenty seventeen. Nope, they finally went bust in early twenty nineteen. Uh, and Richard uh, E. Flag UK Airfields also says Dan Air are about in Romania. Oh dear! Right, oh, great. <laughs> there, there we go. go. So there you heard you it here first. Yeah, uh, indeed. Moving swiftly on because we have got still got tons to pack in the show, including what's coming up next. Because Armando's been busy this week, uh, very busy indeed, and he's been. Uh, well, he's been having an interview with the guys over at Timber Tiger Aircraft. Now, if you get a chance uh, while you're listening to this, just Google Timber Tiger Aircraft. The aircraft are amazing. You've got to go and see them. So, Matt, if you're ready, let's hear from Armando. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Where are you? I'm at the shop. <laughs> Which is? Timber Tiger Aircraft. 
Uh, where where in, in the country? Here, here in Colorado. I was uh, watching a YouTube video, I guess one of your partners, who was in Marion, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Is that where the airplane was for a little while? Yeah, so that would have been Brooks. He was yeah. doing some of the um, some test flying. He, he started here in Boulder with the test flying of the STL, and then he moved to uh, North Carolina. And um, one thing led to another, and he got to take the airplane with him. <laughs> That's awesome. Year, so. <laughs> I actually got uh, super excited because I'm in Charlotte and uh and I was like, oh man, Marion, that's like right around the corner. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Um the airplane right now is in Moorhead City, North Carolina, with its new owner. So Oh yeah? Yeah. <laughs> well maybe, maybe I'll uh, go link up with them and uh get some in person pictures or something like that. Yeah, I, I doubt he'd have a problem with that. Yeah. Um, well, it's Tuesday. And you said you were, by the way, we're recording already. And the only two okay. rules are try not to cuss because it's hard to edit. And uh, <laughs> and then don't say anything that you wouldn't say to the FAA in person. Those are the only two rules. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good at both of those. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you you just got back from Oshkosh, huh? Yeah, yeah. It was a, a pretty crazy year. We have... Um, the STL, of course, and then we unveiled the Jenny, uh, which we got the rights to over the summer, and then we unveiled the Speedster as well, yeah. which is in development. So have you, especially at Oshkosh, have you just given the same two-minute spiel about 850 times? <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty well sums up Oshkosh. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, but there, there comes a – it's like a, a – a little hump in the graph, right? Because at the beginning of the week, you're not practiced, and then you're really practiced by the middle of the week, and then by the end of the week, you're so over it that you're, you start to stumble. <laughs> I know. I've been up there a couple of times with different um, – with uh, Lance Air and some of the sport class, Air, Reno Air Race guys, and it, that, that really does sum it up. It's just like, oh, man, I'm excited to be here. Um, and then after a while, you just you just actually forget in the middle of the conversation – if you've yeah. said something or not previously. <laughs> so what do you, what do you tell me a little bit about the, before we get into the airplanes about the company, like what is it, how did you get into it? What are you trying to do? Okay. So um, the company was founded in uh, 2017, which of course is about two years after we started the development on the STL. Um, right now we've got uh, three of us working here. Uh, it's a full-time gig. It's not just a part-time thing. Um, what led to it was um, just as a kid, I wanted to start designing airplanes. And as a kid, of course, I designed a lot of airplanes uh, that never would have worked. <laughs> and um, I kept telling myself I was going to end up in the home-built industry and designing airplanes and um, moved into the automotive world instead. And in the automotive world, I did um, restoration, a lot of muscle cars, a lot of street rods, um, competitively. And that's where we learned um, really quality. You know, that's especially when you're doing paint and bodywork on a car, that's the stuff people see. That's mm -hmm. the stuff that people nitpick, the smallest details. Um, so after 13 years of running that business, I decided to wind it down a little bit to where 
I should start focusing on the airplane stuff. Um, I had got, gained what I needed uh, as far as business experience and managing a whole bunch of people and um, especially the quality. That was the big thing. So we brought all that stuff here to um, Timber Tiger Aircraft. And now, of course, we have three airplanes that we're developing. So, so had you had you built any airplanes before you went into the automotive side? So I started a, a Pete and Paul air camper. Yeah. And I got Classic. the fuselage done. Yeah, I loved it. And I got the fuselage done on that. That's as far as I got. And then um, one of my friends uh, that I was working with at the airport had had passed away in a crash. Um, pilot air. It wasn't anything to do with the airplane. Um, and, and that really just kind of dampened aviation for me. And that's really why I moved into the automotive industry. So, mm -hmm. um, but I did have a soft spot for for the air campers at the time. Um, and then, of course, uh, getting back into it after I had, after I had um, let some time pass. Uh, the, the golden age stuff still appealed and still does. So that's why we do the golden age stuff. Yeah. And we'll get into that. I mean, the airplane, all three of them are absolutely beautiful, but um, funny enough, the STL I had actually seen before. And I don't know if it was through one of your marketing efforts or something like that, but I actually had uh, talked to my wife maybe a year ago about, Ooh, this may be the kit that we build. Um, because <laughs> I, I'm very much a, a golden era of aviation. Also we were, we're vintage. I have a super cruiser. Um, and that's after owning a Lancer. I didn't build it. I bought, I bought a Lancer. So I got into, um, amateur built stuff. This is like the same story as everybody else in Oshkosh. But, um, and then after a while, my wife actually said, well, the airplane's too fast. It's too bumpy. We can never relax in it. So we went the whole other way and, and got this super cruiser where we just go around at 85 knots. But, um, <laughs> so, so let me ask you this for builders. What have you found is your typical customer? Is it a first time builder or is it the guy that's built for RVs already? Um, there really is no typical We've gotten, um, one of our builders hasn't built anything in his life. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's my job, um, providing tech support and stuff like that to make sure somebody's equipped with the knowledge and skills uh, to move forward with the project, regardless of their skill level. Um, that's really what we strive for. Now that said, we do have a bunch of builders that are, are experienced builders. Um, believe it or not, two of them are over 90 years old. Oh. And have built several airplanes, yeah. And um, most of them, I would say, um, out of the experienced age group are, are newly retired. We've got one that's an AMP, another restoration guy. So um, really just everything. There's really no um, pattern, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, and as far as the skills needed to build, so did you learn almost everything that you needed to know about I guess the process of building an airplane from the automotive industry is there what what special skills let's say i wanted to go i've never built anything and i wanted to tackle this project on um and i know that jenny is a little bit different than the stl uh in that you know the stl has more metal work than 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 fabric and the jenny's all fabric but like what skills would i need and where could i pick them up to start on a crazy project like this 
So anybody with technical skills can do it. And what I mean by that is um, if you struggle with Ikea furniture, you probably don't, <laughs> you probably don't want to be building an airplane, but if you're good at critical thinking, um, for instance, the instructions tell you to do this, but maybe there's something in the instructions that doesn't quite clicking for you. If you can look at a tool and think, okay, how do I get from A to B? You'll be fine. And um, I really think that it's about moving slowly. And the, the biggest thing for me, and one of the things I'm most frustrated about is people's belief in themselves. We get too many people at Oshkosh that say, I can't do this. Um, and they're saying that about all, all kids. And it's because they don't understand. They've never been taught that if they miss, if they mess something up or make a mistake, it can be fixed. And that's really all they need to know. Um, I learned my technical skills through the automotive world. Um, anybody who's done a house project, I'm talking a bigger house project, you know, something more, are involved where they have to do research. Um, somebody who's restored a car or has even just swapped out an engine on a car or anything like that, they can build an airplane. They just need to go um, slow, make sure they're paying attention to what they're doing. You, out of all the areas, I, I guess out of all the skills required, and, and um, but of course I, I can only imagine there's, there's a lot of learning that happens along the way. But what is, what is, is there one area that you think I mean, I think most people would get a mentor or somebody to help them, but hey, you, you really need to know what you're doing. Maybe go take a class or some, maybe avionics or elect, electronics or something like that on the airplane. Yeah. So I think for any airplane, it's really important that people um, not just know how to build a fuel system, but under, understand how it works. That would be my biggest thing. Plumbing, um, fuel systems, electrical, like you said, is a huge one. Um, when you're in the air, and something goes wrong on an airplane you built, you should instantly or close to instantly have, you don't need to know what it is, but you should have an idea of what it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you said, take it slow. So what is your target? And each of the airplanes may be a little bit different, but what is your target for build time? Uh, and then you guys offer actually a quick build kit too, right? Yeah, we do on the STL um, and then a, a bunch on the, on the Jenny. Um, so on the STL, we average about 1,500-hour build time. Um, now, with the quick-build fuselage, that brings the build time down to about 1,300. Um, of course, you're going to have some people that finish one in 800 hours. You're going to mm -hmm. have some people that take you know, an, a lifetime just because they, they move that slow. And there's no problem in that as long as they enjoy the process. Um, for the Jenny we estimate a 500 hour build time significantly different. Um, and keep in mind with the Jenny, there's, there's about a hundred that have been flown, give or take. And, uh, so there's a, a, a good database to pull from as far as build times go. Um, there was one guy who was building them in 400 hours from a box of steel, no kit. This was back in the, in the day. Um, granted he was building a lot of them, um, but it's it's doable. Yeah, and and now one of your missions is to make this whole project affordable, right? So yeah. So go ahead. No, that's, I want I want to talk about that because I mean, okay, RVs easily, you know, up to one hundred fifty, two hundred thousand. Yeah. Once you start putting a G three X in there, once you start putting a, you know, all all the bells and whistles in it. But but one of the things that 
that you're trying to do is, is make it achievable, right? And affordable. Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm, especially coming from the automotive restoration world, I'm a, I'm a working guy, no more or no different than anybody else, you know? So I try to keep things realistic, but, um, that's the thing people don't understand about some of these kits is they get you in the door with cheap prices and then things skyrocket, just absolutely balloon. Um, with things that are like a Ryan replica, especially where people, and I, I want to point out that the Ryan could be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a replica. You can make it yours. And we do have some customers that are doing things real custom to make it theirs. But if you want a replica and you want it to stay within this certain set of rules to make it look like an original, then you pay the kit price and for it to balloon is um, a little more difficult because you're not splurging on, you know, all that, that crazy instrumentation or this and that. So, um, but yeah, so the Ryan um, all in, you're looking about high eighties. If you, if you do the work yourself. Yeah. It's, it's really competitive. Um, and the reason I bring up the, the accessorizing thing is because our, our kit prices reflect what's included. So yeah, our kit prices are going to be, you're going to be into it for, I think our base kit right now is like 39,000. So, um, and then there's the add-ons of course. Um, but the Jenny, especially that's, that's really where the savings are. You could finish a Jenny for anywhere between 25 and 45,000, depending on how you go about it. Um, are you going, uh, like a deluxe kit or do you have hardware stashed up, raw materials stashed up? A lot of people do, um, a surprising number of people actually. So, um, so the Jenny is really the, the less expensive of the two for sure. And how did you, how did you pick this two aircraft? So first of all, I mean, the Ryan is such a classic aircraft and there's not that many, it's not really that popular other than maybe old, old magazines and books where people or, or a poster, right. Where somebody has it on their wall. How did, how does, how, how did you pick the, the Ryan, the Jenny, and the Speedster as your projects for as a company? Yeah, so um, we'll go on order of, of um, how we developed them. And of course, that was with the Ryan first. So the Ryan was one of the airplanes I fell in love with um, about the age of 14 when I was starting to find out that you, you could home build airplanes. And um, back then, when I was 14, I'm, I'm 38 now, back then, the Ryan was popular as far as being in mag magazines. It was, um, you know, article after article and I saw an aero crafter and really, and it's kind of disappointing to me that, um, less people now know what the Ryan is. Like it's, I don't want to call it the interest level, but it's kind of started to slide back down into, you know, um, the territory of the unknown. And it's been overshadowed by its its military cousin, the PT-22, uh, which is a vastly different airplane. And the two shouldn't even really be compared, to be honest with you. They handle so differently. Um, so that's what, really why I picked the Ryan was just because of my personal history with loving it as a kid. And um, it's been kind of fun to watch that that interest come back. You know, people now, they're like, oh, I didn't know this existed. It's the most beautiful airplane I've ever seen. Well, I'd love to take credit for that, but Ryan did that back in yeah. 1934. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so that, that was the Ryan. And then of course the Jenny, um, uh, well actually let's start with the speedster. The speedster, 
um, we took notes about what people wanted to see from us. Um, this is notes over several Oshkoshes. And is that a word, Oshkoshes? That's yeah, a word, right? Absolutely. Especially when you're, <laughs> when you're talking about market research over multiple years, sure. <laughs> yeah, Oshkoshes. So, um, you know, maybe somebody was about to pull the plug on an STL. And, of course, spouses have a say in everything. And a lot of spouses like to sit side by side. That's kind of what drove the, the speedster. Um, and it was it was Glenn Gordon, um, our, our CAD consultant, who uh, recommended a side-by-side -side Ryan, and we started drawing it up, and it just was not okay. It didn't look right at all. Um, so we started fresh, and that's how we got the Speedster. And, of course, it's got um, folding adaptable wings. It's got the side-by-side -side seating. It's got uh, rollover protection in the headrests. It's got a round engine. It's basically got everything that everyone was asking for, a huge baggage compartment. Um, so that's the Speedster. And then the Jenny is kind of an inter interesting story. The green and cream one that we had at Oshkosh. Uh, I first saw the airplane when I was 14, and that was my introduction into home building. I didn't know you could build an airplane. And I saw this thing at our, our uh, the first flying I went to. And 20, about 20 years fly by, and the STL is in a hangar at Boulder. And I'm, I'm looking at the set of wings, and I'm thinking, that looks awful familiar. And sure enough, it was um, the set of wings to that Jenny, which had been put in storage for a little while. And um, I got to talking to the owner, and, and uh, we picked up the rights to that in June of this year. So um, it's, been, it's been a ride. It, that, I mean, the, well, first of all, the Jenny, that's another just like quintessential classic aircraft that I think as kids, or at least us, you know, nerds, aviation nerds, all know the name, the, the, the Jenny. Um, your, your specific kit, well, you know what, let, let me, I'll get into the handling and the, and the flying characteristics, but I did want to talk about you as a business. Um, how did you tackle it? What, what's the process for you guys as a business? Um, you know, do you manufacture your parts in-house? Where do you get them from? And then how does that differ from what you provide to the customer? And then like the logistics, how does this all go basically from the birth of the airplane all the way to the first flight? Yeah. So um, you're talking all the airplanes in general. Um, what's that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So or unless you want to pick one, I'm, I'm partial, yeah. I'm partial to the FTL <laughs> cause it really is a, like probably one of the most beautiful airplanes out there. Right. <laughs> So we can talk um, about the Air STL. <laughs> <laughs> really, it was a matter of um, just doing our best on the prototype. And, of course, that's there's a reason there's a prototype, and it's because you're not going to be happy with everything. Um, and so, really, what we learned on the STL and the changes that we had to make uh, going into production were for production. Um, for instance, our, our aileron hinges were pretty complex to build. We built them how how Ryan did. And if you look at the Ryan drawing, they're actually so simple that you'll think, what do you mean they're complex to build? Well, we could either make a weld mint or we could do it the way, you know, other companies do it now and stick some aluminum up on the CNC and have it CNC'd out. So that's what we do now. Um, the bulkhead style on the STL has changed. Um, on the original, it was all uh, doubled up bulkheads, um, 25 thousandths. 
so pretty thin aluminum and it was not pre-drilled at all and so we built seven fuselages here at the shop um some quick builds and in the process of building those quick builds we would take little measurements here and there and put them into cad and now what we have is um single bulkheads they're 40 thousandths now and much much stiffer um but now they're all match drilled to the fuselage and um so are the laundrons so we can actually build a fuselage now on a table with no fixture at all required and it's it's straighter than anything that we built in the past with a fixture um it's all controlled by CNC, so it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's huge because the previous builds or the early builds, you needed some kind of structure, yeah, to, to attach the the skin on, mm -hmm. right, and and the skin yeah. being a structural part of the airplane. Correct, and lucky for us, we actually didn't sell any non quick build kits before <laughs> we had the technology, so nobody's actually had to do that. Um, which, uh, you know, we get we get lucky every now and then you know <laughs> yeah hey, that, right that's good so let, let's talk about the you talk about the handling characteristics of flying so i assume that you've flown all of them right i actually personally have not flown the stl on this because um i hire the right people to do it um Smart. i'm a business <laughs> owner uh anytime that i've been with the airplane it's been 13 hour days getting it ready for a show or doing a condition inspection stuff like that um now I understand how that might rub people the wrong way, uh, but you got to remember I'm a business owner. That's my mm -hmm. goal is to make sure our customers are happy and hire the right people to do the right job. And that's why Brooks ended up as our test pilot. Um, he's a really, really good pilot. Um, and then as far as the Jenny, I've actually not had a chance to fly in one of those because um, again, we just picked up the rights over the summer. And even though a hundred of them have been flown worldwide, give or take, um, there's only, I actually only know of one in our area and that's the one that was in storage. So, <laughs> but, um, really to answer the question, as far as, um, flight qualities and stuff like that, the best people to talk to are Jeff Brooks, Glenn. Um, I've got a, a secret pilot uh, that I'm not allowed to talk about just yet. Um, but you'll see something about that here in a, in a few months. Um, yeah. All I can say is make sure all your your magazine subscriptions are are up to date because this <laughs> one's this one's going to be a doozy. Hold on, so. I got to I got to write this down. Uh, <laughs> so I, I will say there is actually something beautiful about that because as the owner of the business, one I think there's one thing that's special and that's that you're passionate about aviation and you're talking about a story that goes all the way back to when you were 14 years old as as opposed to you being an investor and a businessman i think a lot of times in aviation you get uh that people people that see a business opportunity and then the, and then there's the use of the world that are that are truly passionate about this so it's my experience right and i'm not putting words in your mouth but um, that passion would prevent you from putting out a substandard product, right? Regardless whether you've flown the airplane or not, you're, it's, it's like it's in your your soul and your heart is in each one of these airplanes. Um, so yeah. I think that, you know, people can criticize it, but I think that is worth a lot um, mm -hmm. that, that you're passionate about it. Yeah, and it's 
you know, it's worth noting too that things have been moving so fast. It's not like I don't want to fly my own air, airplanes, right? I do. But things have been moving so fast in the last several years between starting the business, um, all the media attention, and uh, we've got a two-year-old two daughter now. Um, we moved across the state. It's been absolutely nuts. Um, but I, on, the, on, on the same note um, as what you were talking about, we see a lot of people who love airplanes and they want to build one and start a business, but they don't know anything about business. And so that's, that's the flip side. Um, if I'm passionate about, you know, pilotage and building an airplane for myself and then just trying to make some money off of it, that's not how business works. I mean, business is late nights. It's being the last person to take a paycheck home. It's having to make sure that the money coming and going is, is balancing out. It's making sure that, um, tech support is handled on a, on an evening or on a weekend or, you know, whenever the customer needs you, it's, it's such a complex issue. It, it, it's, um, not, it's something non-business owners don't understand. It's a huge, huge, um, project. It really is. Yeah. And you're trying to balance that. So a two-year-old, let's see the build time on a two-year-old, that's probably 1500 hours of of sleep that you're probably losing a year. <laughs> I tell my buddy, yeah. so th I think the first year, like you lose 800 hours of sleep uh, of, uh, of a kid's life. And then the second year, I think it goes down to like 600 hours that you lose out. Yeah. The whole so time that, you're that like, doesn't help anything. That's literally, I could have built an airplane in that. The time that you were awake in your garage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? Um, so, feedback wise then what have you gotten back so that, i think that jenny's pretty proven yours is what what scale is it compared to the original uh so the it's um the original early bird jenny was a 67 percent scale mm -hmm. um and of course we have the same essentially the same structure uh but with a 12 percent larger fuselage we added some reinforcements to the spars um Landing gear we haven't changed, so we've done a few things to it, but the fuselage, for the sake of, of making it fit today's people, is 75% scale. Yeah. That's funny that you mentioned the, the landing gear because it's like, what is it, like a 21-inch bicycle tire? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's uh, I think um, J John has on his some YZ80 wheels. Yeah, that's so, so funny. Yeah. I, but, love, um, I love that you have a concept that's 100 years old, then. Why mess with it, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then the and then the STL is a ninety-five percent scale, which yeah. you guys did on purpose, right? You didn't want to do a full scale. Correct. So I wanted full scale, and actually, we entertained the idea after we had built the prototype. Um, but going back through the numbers, it's not possible to do at a hundred percent scale what we wanted to do as far as engine uh, horsepower. Um, and stuff like that. And so uh, on just 100 horsepower Rotax, um, because we are 250 pounds lighter than an original, um, we're actually matching the performance of an STA. And then if we use, uh, for instance, a big bore Rotax with 120 horsepower, we're gonna at least match the, horse, uh, the performance of an STA special. So um, it really comes down to economics, but, but we also got lucky in that Rescaling down to 95% cleared up some room in key areas on the airplane, and it's actually 
bigger on the inside, believe it or not. Um, it's more comfortable than an original ST. Um, I can't go too much into it right now, but it does, again, like I said, outperform an original ST. Um, and, uh, again, make sure your magazine subscriptions are up to date. <laughs> are you ready? Are you ready as a company for when that gets published and, and people start lining up at the door? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, they always talk about the six week window after Oshkosh before orders come in. This is something that we've heard from the media. It's something we've heard from other kit companies. And right now we're in that six week window. So to see what's going to happen between Oshkosh, um, and of course we've gotten more media attention right now than we've ever gotten. Um, so to see what happens between Oshkosh and this, um, supposed article that might be coming out, uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. But we're ready for it. Um, so let's talk about that. So let's say, uh, somebody comes to you right now. We saw it at Oshkosh. It's a beautiful airplane. I'm ready to buy it. Um, we already talked about costs. What about the, the logistics of, of, um, and you know, wait, wait times. I, I think people are patient, right? I think people will wait for the right kits, but what are the logistics of getting it from, I assume Colorado to my garage in, in North Carolina. And then, and then as a, as a buyer, what would I need to start prepping? How much space do I need? Um, specialty tools, anything like that? Like, what's the, what's the no kidding? Uh, leaves, leaves Montrose or leaves Colorado. Isn't Montrose? Yeah. 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 So Montrose, leaves, Colorado. leaves Montrose and arrives in Charlotte, North Carolina. What is that process? And what do I, what do I need to prep as a, as a buyer? So, um, it's worth noting that a lot of our customers actually pick up their project in person. Um, that said, we have shipped them. Um, we're talking to a, or we will, we will be talking to a new shipping company um, who uh, we talked to at Oshkosh, and they specialize in kits, um, RVs, kit boxes, that kind of stuff. And that's why I want to talk to them. But in the past, what we've done is we've made a giant crate. And it goes out and um, it contains everything that you need. It's about 16 feet long for an STL. It's 16 feet long, uh, four feet tall, and three feet wide. And um, so if you wanted it shipped, that, that's traditionally how we would have done it. Of course, going with um, this new company, we uh, actually don't even need to create the fuselage anymore. Um, the smaller stuff, of course, still gets created because it needs to stay all together on their on their trailer. Um, but as as far as getting the order, and once the order is placed, we start production on the kit. Um, it usually takes anywhere between uh, four and eight months to be ready for, for shipping, um, and it de it depends heavily on our, our on our work schedule. We do some builder assist as well, so um, it's not all about building the kits. Um, so about four to eight months, um, a lot of customers have us ship out a tail surface kit early because it takes so little time to manufacture. And then the idea is that they could get building on a tail surface while they wait for the rest of their kit. So uh, it, at first I felt, um, I don't want to say guilty, but I, I want to see things going out the door as quickly as possible, right? Just to keep our customers happy. Uh, but now I'm hearing about other companies it takes that long to get an engine mount. So I think mm -hmm. we're doing pretty good <laughs> yeah but i guess that's the benefit of being a smaller company 
And that, so logistics wise, it could be as simple as I fly to Colorado and, and I rent the biggest U-Haul or rider truck that I can on my license and then truck it back across the country. Huh? Yeah. So we found out that um, a kit, if, if it's not a quick build fuselage, will actually fit on a flatbed trailer and in the back of an eight foot pickup bed. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, believe it or not, uh, that was a surprise to us when the customer showed up and he didn't have any room in his cab. I was kind of panicked, but he made it work. <laughs> um, Does it make you question, like, how is the rest of this build going to go if, uh, we, if we didn't measure twice cut? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's not something I considered. So yeah. I'm going to have to sit down and reevaluate my, <laughs> my life choices. <laughs> um but we've also had people uh, bring in a, a, a U-Haul, and it's a, a 16-foot-long um, U-Haul, which was plenty uh, of space. Oh. And that's with a quick-build fuselage. So, um, so that's, that is the other option is to pick stuff up in person. And we welcome that. We welcome customers and potential customers all the time. I, I love talking to people and um, getting to know who our, our customer is. It's not – you're not just a number. You know, every customer – up till now is in my cell phone on a first name basis, you know? So, yeah. And, and the quick build, what, how much, uh, how much do you guys complete on a quick build? Like what's the so biggest? On a quick, yeah. On a quick build fuselage, um, we, we have to leave some of the tasks of course for the 51% rule. So, um, we do most of the riveting aft of bulkhead two, which is the main steel bulkhead. Um, and we do a little bit ahead of bulkhead too, but only enough to secure everything in place. Um, so the customer has to button up the top of the forward skins and then they have to install the forward laundrons. Um, there's six laundrons in the front and then they have to install bulkhead one. So we do a, a pretty substantial amount of it. Oh, and they have to install a belly panel as well. Um, but we, we do as much as we can get away with. Uh, without coming anywhere near that that 51% right. rule. So we try and um, make sure that we're following all regulations because the last thing that we need is someone to disagree with what we're doing and, and um, raise a stink about it. So we don't go anywhere near that line. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, uh, engines and avionics. So I think from an avionics standpoint, I would imagine that most people – that are buying these airplanes are going to keep it pretty close to original with some, you know, minimalist avionics. Is that kind of what you've seen or is, is there somebody out there putting a G3X in one of these? <laughs> um, it, it really is actually right down the middle. Um, we have a lot of steam uh, gauge people. Um, I, I'm personally a steam gauge guy because the, the cost and simplicity, but we do have other people putting in glass panels and uh, two people that are are toying with the idea of an autopilot even wow. um yeah which um to me you know you would think that that is beyond the scope of a replica and it is but again people can make this what they want they can customize it they don't need to make a replica um so yeah i'd say it's as far as instrumentation really right down the middle yeah well, and now, you know, with the, what, Garmin GI 275s and the, um, what is it, UAvionics AV30s, you can have a vintage-looking panel round dial that has all the, the modern amenities of of a full EFIS, right? Like, 
Yeah, yeah. Um, what about engines? So you mentioned the the Rotax is what you're suggesting for at least two of the three platforms, right? Yeah. So the Rotax is um, the one that fits inside the Calibest. Uh, of course, the thing you hear everyone say about the Rotax is I don't like the sound, and they they complain about the sound. But we use an uh, uh, an after muffler or a resonator, and that really kills the high pitch sound of the Rotax, and it doesn't sound like a Rotax. Um, and then probably half of our builders are using the Rotax. Uh, a lot of them big bore. And then we've got a customer doing a like on O290, and we've got a Werner 7U, which is the radial. Mm-hmm. And then one of our customers is using UL power. So, um, but personally, if I build another one for myself, um, I'm going to go with a, a Rotax just because the service is out there. The parts are out there. It's a well-known engine. Yeah. Um, if you treat it like they want you to treat it, it's an incredibly reliable engine. So uh, um, that's really the one that I prefer to see people put in their airplane personally. Um, but again, it's, you know, this is the world of experimentals. You can right. use whatever you want as long as it's reliable, cost-effective, and, and will fit. Yeah. And to be fair, actually, the reason we're talking today is um, we were on a Facebook group together, and I actually defended you because there's always <laughs> there's always somebody out there with an opinion, and somebody was like, ah, it's not authentic. I was like, well, yeah, man, that's the point. that, And specifically why I – without even knowing you wanted to defend you is because I used a line in there that I'm sure that if you took an 80 year old or an eight year old and you put them in the front seat of that airplane, the smile is going to be exactly the same, whether it's a Rotax powered replica or whether it's a $200,000 original Ryan. Um, It's about keeping the vintage aircraft alive. And what a great way to do this, right? With, with modern safety and a modern engine in there. Um, and I, you know, I get it's aviation, right. And, and Oshkosh is a great place to get a thousand different opinions. But for me, I immediately loved what you were doing. And I love that they put um, the STL up on their page because it, it, I truly believe that it is about keeping the vintage aircraft, um, karma i don't know soul alive when when especially when students are learning in g1000 diamonds right um but i don't know yeah. I, I immediately came to your defense <laughs> <laughs> so i appreciate that and it's it's kind of funny because um the people who are complaining i think are armchair enthusiasts because we've been warmly welcomed by anybody who owns an original ryan yeah uh, um and initially, one of our concerns was, would this hurt the resale value on originals? Because we've seen it happen with other replicas in the past. It, it doesn't help with their resale value, um, or at least there's this notion that it's not going to help. And so people get defensive. Um, but if anything, it's raised awareness about the ST and the PT types and has helped those people out, hopefully. Um, but they, they welcome us. So that's yeah. that's the fun part about it. I mean, look at Carbon Cub, right? I mean, the, originally there were naysayers and saying, oh, you can't, that's not a cub. I was like, well, listen, mm-hmm. Carbon Cub and all these other companies, there's three, four companies out there producing a cub-like aircraft, and it's done nothing but but bring so much attention um, 
I, I remember, so I'm a motorcycle rider, and I remember when the Long Way Round came out uh, with BMW motorcycles, and then suddenly there was a craze for adventure riding. I think that the, the Carbon Cub community has experienced the same, this resurgence in how cool it is, and everybody wants one now. And I, and I love what you're doing with this, too, because it could easily turn out that way. So well, I, appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, well, I, I did tell you that we were going to keep it a little short, but I, there's one question that, that I always ask, um, and especially since you've flown and you're, you've owned this airplane company now, feel free to say it's one of your own airplanes, but if you could fly any airplane in the world, past, present, future, money was no object, what airplane would that be? I could fly any plane in the world. Probably a U2. Oh, okay. All the way as high as we can go, just because that's a true experience, you know? Yeah. It's, it's an ugly – I wouldn't want to own one. <laughs> <laughs> never, never in my life would I want to own one, but it would be a cool experience. Well, isn't that funny? Like SpaceX and Blue Origin and stuff, you get you get three minutes in space, but in a U2, you could like theory, theoretically be on the edge of space for <laughs> 12 hours at a time. You know, even if you're not on the edge of space, it's the idea that, you know, yeah. you're at least your brain's telling you you are, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was a great podcast that I was listening to. Um, uh, it's actually a business podcast, and they talked about Lockheed um, and Lockheed Skunk Works. Um, I forget the name of the podcast, but it's really cool how they actually developed the U2 at Y and all that stuff. But I'll send you the link afterwards. Um, Nick, so before we go, how do how does everybody get a hold of you and the company? Where can we find you? So uh, first off, I want to say that we're really easy to get a hold of. Uh, but you can check out our website at TimberTigerAircraft.com. Uh, my email address is Nick, N-I-C-K, at TimberTigerAircraft.com. And, of course, we have a, a pretty heavy Facebook presence as well. So the fun thing about Facebook, um, I know some people don't like it, some do, but we can upload a ton of photos uh, for you to look at. It's a good way to keep up to date. So, Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate your time, and I would love to check in with you over the next couple months and see how this Oshkosh things go. And, and maybe before all the big media articles and all that stuff, I can say I knew you when. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Thank thanks. you so much. No problem. I'm going to kill the recording and uh, stand by just a second. Okay. So, uh, I mean, wow is the first thing that I, I say to that great interview. I, I need I need some clarification. Somebody, Nick, you U2. might be able to answer this. What's a U2? Explain. I mean, I know them as a band, obviously. Bono, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Adam the, Clayton. Um, yeah, yeah, the American spy plane, which flies up to, I think, 70,000 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It goes up at 90, doesn't it? In fact, the funny, uh, funny thing was I actually saw one of those on my very first aircraft flight um i was oh wow flying in the air training corps over kent and there was one coming in over the english channel i didn't know wow. what it was at the time indeed uh, so thanks as always to armando for yes. for that great great little video but we are going to have to press on i'm afraid because we've got quite a lot to cram into only 11 minutes so we go. have i have <laughs> so it's it's time for the book giveaway now the book is is in is in my possession uh, this week but nev's got the all-important question for you this is the book that we are giving away this week it's flying <laughs> the boeing just give it to andy just give it to andy there we go just give it to andy there we go give, give it through there there we go have a have a real real book Andy. Yeah, flying it's, the it's, very, it's very thin it's very thin <laughs> that's because 
it's just an incredible aircraft well, flight. It, well, there's no, there's no computers doing the flying for you, so it needs so to be flying the, that. <laughs> fly, flying the 787, anyway, it's got, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a bit like a mini Haynes manual. It goes through oh, everything you need to know about uh, starting the aircraft from cold right through to flight programming and also all the important procedures. What, in case you have to take up. yourself on holiday. Yes, this is a good, <laughs> this is a good book to read if you are going to be flying on a 787, just in case you get asked that question. Um, have we got a pilot on board? Um, no, thanks. I'll let the people who know what they're doing do it, if you don't mind. So, Nev, <laughs> uh, you have got uh, this week's question. I thought it should have been scrapping the 787 after that <laughs> other story. That we <laughs> ah, yes, but there we go. Yes. Anyway, this is called Flying the 787 by Captain Jib, uh, sorry, Gib Vogel. Uh, and this week's question is, the first Boeing Dreamliner, which was manufactured with serial number 001, had a very Nev-esque registration. Ooh. What was this aircraft's registration number? So the first Boeing Dreamliner 787 MSN 001 had a very Nev-esque uh, registration. So what was this aircraft's registration number? Play, uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address to send your answers to and uh, I shan't be here next week but the fellows will read out uh, the winner next week by picking a winner out of the hat and then uh, it'll be Carlos's turn to go down to the post office instead of mine. Yay! Well, that'd be nice for him. Yes. I know, Absolutely I know. Treat. Yeah. So get your answers in for that. Get your answers in. Now, uh, moving swiftly on, I shall try and get this on the social media page as well if I get a chance uh, this weekend. Uh, also this week, it's uh, the caption this is back again. We have uh, our picture uh, this week for the caption this. It was on our Facebook page on Wednesday. And uh, it's an interesting picture. It may have um, been artistically altered in some ways. <clears throat> Nev, what's the picture for our benefit of our audio listeners? Quickly. Oh yes. Uh, well, there's uh, they are they are pushing an aircraft out of the drink by the looks of things. I would say. <laughs> and and what's the airline, Nev? Oh uh, well, I haven't got the thing in front of me, but it's oh. is it, is it PTUK Airlines? PTUK yes. Airlines. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we had to start our own airline. Mm -hmm. So, kicking off. Uh, this week's uh, caption is John, and uh, John says, PTUK Airlines Chief Executive Carlos says the company have launched an investigation into their Fenland operations after a local farmer opened the Dyke Sluice Gate. Loyal passengers desperately try to rescue the aircraft. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Nev? <laughs> Uh, Nick says, push till you keel over. Airlines live up to its reputation. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you've done there. Uh, Andy, do you want to take the next one? Uh, yeah, what did you guys eat for dinner? Didn't agree with you and definitely not the pilot. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what to do with okay. that. I think, I think that's an evacuation from the toilet area. Oh, anyway. Okay. Uh, yes. uh, 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 Nick, do you want to take, uh, take the next one? Uh, yeah, that one's from uh, Neil. Avid fans managed to keep PTUK Airlines afloat. Oh, and we're very grateful for that, Great actually, fans. yes. Uh, indeed. Jake says, PTUK pushes to be leading edge in thrust reverser technology. <laughs> oh, see what they did there. <laughs> oh, and David says, obviously just start, uh, starting the seaward part of the journey and passengers need to get their sea legs. Oh. 
dear. Uh, PTUK's inaugural flight, says Bill, makes a splash by utilising self-loading cargo to perform pushback. See, I think that's just efficient, that's, personally. That's yeah, yeah, I think it's efficient, uh -huh. yeah. Uh, Mark says, back, back, the man in one ear has got wet feet. Yeah, we can't have that. That's really oh. not OK, is it? No, let's be honest. Uh, and Nick, I think you have the last one. Um, yeah, Nigel says that uh, when I said we were landing at Bournemouth, I did actually mean at the airport. <laughs> not, not on the beach. Yes, nice. <laughs> right, what, we got, what have we got in the, uh, in the chat room? Uh, let's have a look here. Uh, Surf City, here we come, is uh, one from uh, Micah. Uh, Captain Cruz is uh, suggesting uh, Shandong Airlines. I don't know what that's... So I, have I just accidentally sworn? Uh, <laughs> Mazus says, uh, uh, says, not another flat battery. Indeed, indeed. Uh, moving on, Sturman saying, undercover boss, new episode, most dedicated staff member. <laughs> uh, very good. <laughs> Captain Ridiculous Wit says, you don't, uh, don't you hate it when your when your battery dies? Uh, <laughs> Alex uh, is saying, just a bit further, lads, and the rubber band will be ready. Yes, yes, that's it. Wind it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, Captain Ridiculous Wits is saying trying out the new man-powered push tugs again very efficient I think Captain Crew's group of lifeguards preventing airplane from going further into the ocean <laughs> Uh, PT UK, this is from uh, Richard E. Flagg, uh, UK Airfields, saying uh, PT UK celebrating more time afloat than the Monarch now, relaunch. Now that's very topical. I, I, I like I'm going to I'm going to finish on this one from Richard oh, Evans oh, in the on chat then. room. Yeah, okay, all right then. Far too much Delta P. I have no idea mm. what that means. Oh, <laughs> a lot of pressure. Time for uh, one more um, item, actually, really quickly from Alex. Oh, oh yes, um, of course, absolutely. Very kindly gave us his update. He says, hi, guys, hope you're well. Last time we spoke, you asked me to keep you up to date with how the flying career was progressing. Well, I'm happy to say that as of next week, I'm beginning my new career as a second officer on the Boeing 737 with Smilejet. Wow. And he says, safe to say, I'm incredibly excited. Thanks for the many years of entertainment and keeping the passion alive. Speak again soon. And he says, P.S. The uh, aerobatics may need to go on hiatus. Something about not being appropriate for commercial air transport. <laughs> let's, let's, let's give him a round of applause. Come on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I took part in flying upside down, he says. So, yeah, well. indeed. Well done, Alex. I, I think that does very much, deserve a, very much deserve one of these. There you go. Look, very good. Well done. Good. Well done. It's Very always fantastic proud. getting your first airline job. Yeah, absolutely. Hope it all goes well. Enjoy the tape written. <laughs> all right, don't frighten him. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, before yeah. we finish the show, we must must mention for those of you who might have missed it in a previous show. Uh, all, well, mo nearly all the team will be at the Duxford uh, Battle of Britain air show uh, on uh, September the 17th. That's a Sunday, September the 17th. We'd love to, uh, if you could all be, if you could all be there, that'd be great. Mm. Uh, but uh, me, Nev and Matt will uh, hopefully all be there at uh, Duxford for that meetup at the air show. Don't forget, there are still tickets available. If you go on the uh, Duxford's website, you can get your tickets for the air show there. So that's the 17th of September. Uh, at Duxford for that Battle of Britain air show and hopefully we'll get to see some of you listeners there but uh, don't forget let us know if you're going to be there because we'd love to uh, all get together obviously on site and uh, have a good old chinwag eh Nev? Absolutely. Yeah looking forward to it and there may be a special guest 
as well but we're just Ooh. waiting Keeping for confirmation under wraps. yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, indeed it's, it's going to be a good one though mm. it's going to be a good, good one yeah absolutely yeah. so that is where we're going to bring episode 470 now aren't we mm. I know, scary, to a close uh we'll all be back hopefully next week and uh, we'll be bringing you back we'll, we'll bring back we'll loads more great stuff including the caption this and 25 seconds the answers to the book quiz as well so that's it big thanks to our special guest andy for joining us this evening thanks andy great to see you on there Pleasure. and thanks to nick obviously as well as always this week for all your hard work and to john and to matt and to nev and to armando as well so that's it. Have a great weekend, whatever you're up to. And don't forget, send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we'll see you next Friday on the show. Say goodbye, Nev. See you. Take care. Have a good one.